Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. <laughs> I'd love you to grab your Bible, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And uh, thank you for the keyboard. But I'll start singing love songs and stuff like that. And it could get really, really bad. Uh, here. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read from verse, around about verse 11. I, I, I love, out of the, the gospel writers, my favorite um, writer is probably Luke, out of the four gospel writers, I, not for any particular theological reason, I just think if I had anything in common with anybody that was a writer of the Bible, I probably have more in common with Luke than anybody else. Uh, again, I never read this in a theological magazine or anything like that, but I'm convinced that Luke probably potentially had ADD uh, only because he's always losing stuff. No gospel writer loses more stuff than Luke. And I like that because I'm always losing stuff. I, I lost my glasses once for 25 minutes and found them on my face. Uh, so I'm always, I'm always losing. So I love Luke. Luke's my, my, my favorite. You start the book of Luke and they lose Jesus, like in the opening couple of chapters, for three days. Like you have one responsibility, look after the Savior of the planet, and you lose him for three days. You know you have ADD when you lose the Savior. Because if I lose my keys, I'm okay, because I can at least pray, God, please show. But when you lose God, I mean, I don't know who you're praying to. And so, and, and then in Luke, there's salt loses its flavor. Um, there's one guy who gains the whole world, so you've got to be pretty good, and then loses his soul. Like, he gains the world, wakes up in the morning, like, I know I put my soul somewhere, but I don't quite remember, maybe it's with my car keys. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 15, uh, loses a coin, a sheep, and a son. Uh, you can't lose that much stuff in one chapter and not have ADD. So, so I, I love, he's my favorite gospel writer it says here then he said this is Jesus talking he's telling parables a, a certain man had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me and so he divided to them his livelihood not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal or riotous living but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And so he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. I want to talk tonight about the power of the redo, the do-over. The, the God of the second chance. I, 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 love, the way, I love the way God rolls. Uh, my, my, I have three beautiful daughters. My eldest is 29, Shariah. My middle, Chloe, she's 27. And uh, Brooke is the baby, and she's 19. And so uh, their, their major task in life is to try to help me at least be a little bit cool or, or have relevant stuff on my phone. So every now and then they're going to introduce me to some a new game. My daughter Chloe and I, we play this game called Boggle. And, and it's not, not good. Uh, she's now on like a 35-game winning streak on, on Boggle, where she just destroys my spirit. Uh, probably my fault, uh, because when she was younger, we used to play totem tennis in our backyard in Manukau City. 
and I used to just lob the ball up over her head because she was quite short. And uh, I'd lob the ball up and I'd destroy her, 9-0, 9-0, 9-0. And she'd cry and she'd say, Dad, at least let me win a game. And I'd say, no, no one lets you get anything in life. You've got to take it. And then she'd like, but I'm only four. And I'm like, I don't care. You need to learn young. And so now that vindictive spirit, she just, she just loves to destroy me. And, but anyway, there was this one particular game that, that they introduced me to. It was called The Amazing Breaker. And you fling stuff at stuff. And if you destroy it and you do it, you know, uh, perfectly, you get three stars. If you sort of send two stars and then one to just sort of make it. And you can, one, two, or three, you can graduate to the next level. But three is obviously the optimum. And I'm the sort of guy that can't go to the next level unless I've got three. And, and, but when you, when you got three stars, this voice would come over and go, superb performance. And it was just like, it's just like so cool, you know. And, 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 and I, I love that. And I remember this one particular level that I was doing. It took me like seven days to get three stars. But after seven days, three stars, superb performance. And, and, and I thought to myself, that's a lot like God and, and not a lot like some Christians I've met. Because it's almost like I got the three stars and God sort of forgets that for the last seven days, I failed, I've got one, I've got two, I've got one, I failed, and another shot, failed, got one, got two, failed, got one, got two, got one, got two, got three. Superb performance. And, and, and a lot of Christians I would meet would be sort of like, well, sort of semi okay performance, but I'd like to remind you of all the performances that you got this week that weren't superb. Remember Monday, not a superb performance, horrible performance, no stars at all. And we're like from Tuesday, remember, you know what I'm talking about? That they just remind, and, and it's almost like God's the God of the do-over. As long as you have another shot, as long as you get up and have another go, as long as you pick yourself up and keep moving, it's, it's almost like God just wipes out the past. Not that like he's got a bad memory, but he just puts that under the blood and says, you've had a new shot today, superb performance. That's the God, the God of the do-over. I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. But before we do that, let's just pray and ask God to be with us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd overshadow us tonight. Uh, let your presence be here in a strong way. Lord God, I thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and can go into areas of our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. We ask you to do that tonight. You are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, and these men and women could have been anywhere else in town tonight, but they made a choice to be in your house, and I pray, God, that they're going to leave here better tonight than when they came in. They're going to leave encouraged. They're going to leave, uh, leave inspired, Lord God, in their own life, and then to go out and be light to people that are struggling around them. More than anything, God, I pray, oh Jesus, please help me not to be boring. And God, I pray for the people that are here tonight. Help them not to be boring either. That's always really horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said, how many of you have ever uh, read a warning label only to totally ignore the warning label? Anybody ever done that? <laughs> I'm in a good place. That's good. Uh, some years ago, uh, when I was living in South Auckland, one of my first trips to America, I, I found... A, a gym supplement store uh, called GNC in Los Angeles in California. And back then in South Auckland, we never had anything like this. It was like Disneyland to gym junkies. And, and I spent a couple of hours just wandering around, looking at all 
the products that they had for sale. And I came upon one called uh, Twin Labs Ripped Fuel Fat Burner. Now, up to this point, the only way that I knew that you could lose fat was jump on a treadmill and run for long periods of time. Now, I have the energy to run long periods of time. I just don't have the focus. And after usually five or ten minutes, I want to punch, you know, the treadmill. And so, you know, so, so cardio wasn't really my skill. And I'm, this, I'm explain this to me. I'm saying to the guy at the desk, explain this to me. What does this do? And he says, well, it burns. Like, I, I, can, I, I can take a pill and just burn fat. And he's like, yes. I'm like, I need this stuff now. This was like, this was like Jesus in a bottle. Now, this is, this is back in the day when fat burners, like, were full of awesomeness. That they had Yohimbi, they had ephedrine, they had, they had, they, they, they just took caffeine, they just took awesomeness, and they rammed it, they squashed it into a little tiny pill that you could just take. Now, now since then, uh, a lot of those substances are now banned. Um, as an overreaction to some guys apparently launching their lungs out through their nostril or something. I don't know. It seems like an overkill to me. And uh, you can't get that stuff anymore. But, but I decided I need this badly. And so I bought myself a bottle of the beautiful uh, Twin Labs Rip Fuel uh, Fat Burners. And I went back to my hotel and uh, I read the instructions. And it says, like, 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 whatever you do, don't take these after 6 p.m. at night. Well, it was 6 p.m. at night. They sold it to me at 5.30. Why would you sell me something at 5.30 if I can't take them immediately? I, I don't want to wait to tomorrow to take my twin lab. I, I want, I got them now. I, I don't have the patience to wait, you know, 12 more hours to tomorrow to take. I want to wake up in the morning chiseled. I, I want to wake up in the morning with washboard abs. I, I want to be able to grab my shirt in the shower, just, and it'd be just sparkling clean. Don't want to have to use a washing machine. I, I, I want to stop global warming. You know, I, I want to do my bit to save the environment. And so, and so this is just stupid. I, it, I don't have to, like, I don't buy Christmas presents in November because then they would just be November presents. And so um, I got to use it now. And, and so then I, then I look at the side of it, and it says, uh, take two at a time, and don't take any more than four in a 24-hour period. Well, obviously, that was written for skinny people. And, uh, and back then, I was a little chunky. And so uh, anyway, cut a long story short. Six o'clock, I took um, six. Well, I know now. <laughs> Twin Labs uh, rip fuel fat burners. And at about 6.15, 6.30, those bad boys kicked in. Like, boom! And I'm like, woo! Oh, yeah! I, 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 I need to go and work out now. And I threw my clothes on and whew, just raced to the gym. And I crushed this workout. I just smashed. I'm just like curling and bench press and lat pull down to throwing 
kicking them over my shoulder. I mean, this fat's just dripping off onto the floor. People are walking behind me. They're sliding over. It was just awesome. Just awesome. My heart was going, produce, 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 you know. And so I just smashed that workout. It was awesome. Go back to the hotel. I shower, get changed. I'm sitting in my hotel room. I'm just looking at the TV. I'm just changing channels at a furious rate, you know, and just absolutely knowing what's everything that's happening. on the, the, I'm just so focused in. And about 9 o'clock at night, I'm thinking to myself, Woo! I think I could go to the gym again. And so I decide that's what I'll do. So I get dressed again, I go back to the gym, and just the same amount of energy, I just smash another workout, curling and benching and lats and just throwing them, kicking them over, and fats just, just dripping off, and people slides. It's awesome, awesome workout. I'm sweating like an absolute crazy man, and I just work, I go back to the hotel. And I shower, get in my pajamas and stuff like that. And I'm like, woo! And I'm in bed, <laughs> just through the television in, in the hotel room. And around about 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there like, woo! 4 a.m. in the morning, woo! 6 a.m., woo! Two days I stayed awake, two days. <laughs> Twin lab, rip fuel, fat burners. There's a warning label that I ignored. I'm amazed at how many in life there are like warning labels. Uh, sometimes they're, they're not that. Like, like, like my father-in-law likes to do movies at Christmas, on Christmas Day. And a few years ago, we went and saw the movie La Miserable. I thought that was the title of the movie. I didn't realize it was a warning label. Because I'm not sure there's been a more horrible movie ever invented by man, a musical where people can't sing. And so about halfway through the movie, I was miserable. By the end of the movie, I was La Miserable. It was like, it's just terrible, terrible, terrible movie. And people all the time, you ignore warning labels. Like, get, like, I don't want to be mean. I, this, this probably sounds a little mean. I don't want to be mean. But there, there are people at the moment that are like protesting um, against SeaWorld. Uh, because Shamu, um, the killer whale, um, killed somebody. And, and while that's horrible, I would just suggest that if a large incarcerated mammal swims up to you, puts its fin out and says, hello, I'm Shamu, the killer whale, and then it kills you, well, I think that's your fault. That, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. Like, like, if I introduce myself to you as, hi, I'm John, I stab you in the face with a very sharp object, Morgan, and then you're at my house and we're swimming, and I just pop up out of the water and just start stabbing you in the face with a very sharp object, oh, I think that's your fault. <laughs> I mean, there's warning labels, and you see them, and you just ignore them. It's like this parable. Everything in this parable screams something bad's going to happen. It's like the music in a horror movie. You know the horror movie where the lone, on his own, like random white guy? It's always the white guy. I don't know why, but it's the white guy. And he's just like, oh, and the music changes and gets real scary. Everyone else is 
off. They, they've gone, but the random white guy's looking at a door. Oh, that's a door. And, and you know, and, and we're all in the movie theater like, don't go through the door. We know it's bad because the music's changed. It sounds like you're going to get stabbed. And he opens the door, you know, it's dead because, because he ignored. It's like that in this parable. It's like, as you read it, you know this thing's going to go sideways rapidly. It's almost like no surprise. He ends up starving, feeding pigs, desiring to eat what they're eating, life falling apart, all the money gone, his life has hit the wall. It's like everything in the parable screams out to us, something bad is about to happen. Number one, he's the youngest son, and and his probably circle of influence is not people with a whole heap of life experience. If you're young and you're making big life decisions, don't go and get your knowledge or your wisdom from the people the same age as you because they're drawing from the same pool of life experience. You want to go and draw wisdom from somebody who's a little bit older, who's got a little bit more life experience if you're going to make big decisions, big choices in life. But you know he probably went to his friends and said, hey guys, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Think about going to my dad and saying, hey dad, this is what I'm thinking. Like, like, like when you die and I get all your money, how horrible is that going to be? I get to enjoy it. You don't even get to see me enjoying this. So here's what I'm thinking about rolling out. Why don't you give me my inheritance now? And then I can enjoy it. And you can be like, woo. And so everyone, it's a win-win. A win-win, dad. And you know, his friends were like, dude, that is awesome. You should do that now. He at least had, he at least had one friend who says, whatever you do, do not tell your mother. Because let's be real, if this was a mother, this would be the shortest parable in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus would have said there was a woman who had two sons, and the youngest son came up to the mother and said, Mother, give me my inheritance now. And she killed him. That, that's how, that's how, <laughs> that's how, that's how that, I, don't know, I was never scared of my dad, but I, I was terrified of my mother. You know, my, my mother just, my mother just strapped you to a clothesline. She just spin you around at fast pace, stop you with a shovel, no problem. Like, like, like my mother was like, she, she, my mother was totally into time out, you know, but not modern day time out. Johnny in the corner, no, my mother would knock me out and, uh, and she'd time it. Uh, that's, how, that's how my mother would roll. And so he, he doesn't have a lot of wisdom, he's not drawing, and then he's self-centered. Father, give me my inheritance, my, my thing. Not thinking about his brother, not thinking about his dad. Not thinking about his mom, just my world, my thing. So he's young, he's self-centered. The premise of his question actually is incorrect. What he's asking for doesn't exist. Dad, give me my inheritance now. Answer should have been from the father, no such thing. No such thing. It's not your inheritance now. In fact, the Bible doesn't say, and the father gave him his inheritance the Bible says, and the father divided to them his livelihood. This is dad's money. This is not the son's money. Both my parents passed last year. And while they were alive, all their assets, all their money was their money. That was their retirement. That was their livelihood. That's what they lived off. They spent their whole life accumulating all of that. And they had the right to spend every cent of it if they wanted to, you know, before they passed. It was only when they died that that money become my inheritance. 
So as long as the father is alive, it's his livelihood, not the son's money. The son has no right to it. The son has no access to it. So the, the premise of his question is actually incorrect. He's asking for the wrong thing. And then lastly, the warning sign is that it's, it's, it's disregarding the Word of God. The Word of God tells us that an inheritance gained too quickly at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. So it says if you get it too fast, it's going to end up real bad, which is exactly what happened. He got it too fast, too young, too inexperienced, and his life fell apart at the end. And so it's a total disregard for what the Bible is telling us. And so here's this guy that's young. Here's this guy that's self-centered. Here's this guy that thinks he knows what he's asking for, and actually that's incorrect. And this young guy is defying the, the, the Word of God, trying to outsmart God's wisdom. And so everything here screams, this is the wrong thing to do. You are making the wrong choice. Yet despite all of this, the father allows him to make that decision. It's the power of choice. I, 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 I love the power of choice, and I equally hate the power of choice. But God gives every one of us this incredible power called the power to choose, the right to choose. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, God says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God says, I, I give you the power of choice. Now, there is no choice unless I give you a dramatic opposite of the best choice. So I, I, I give you the choice of life but if it's just life and there's no death consequence, <clears throat> then there's no choice. And so I, I have to give you the power of life and, and death, the power of blessing and cursing for you to actually have an option. Now, I want you to choose life. I, I want you to choose blessing. I want you to make the right choices. In fact, the Bible is a book that teaches us the wisdom to set up for us to make the right choices. But God at the end of it says, unless you have the option to choose either or, then you have no power of choice. Now I hate the power of choice, and I equally love the power of choice. I, I love the power of choice because everything we've done here tonight so far matters to God. When you came in and you started raising your hands, and worshiping God in worship, that means something to God because He didn't force your hands up. The fact that you could have been anywhere else tonight, but you chose to be in the house of God. There are people that should be here tonight, they chose not to be here tonight. It's not that God doesn't like them, that God loves the fact that you made a sacrifice to be in the house. Some of you, when you raised your hand tonight in worship, if we knew your story of the past seven days, our mind would be blown by the fact that you raised up your hands before God because you brought a sacrifice of praise in. It would have been easy for you to say, I'm not going to go to church tonight. Life's too hard. Life's too messed up. I'm carrying too much heaviness. I'm just going to stay at home. It would be easy for you to do that tonight, but 
but you made a choice to be in the house of God. God didn't force you to do that. God didn't make you do that. You did that with your own free will. And because you chose to be here, God says, I love that. And God will be able to bless you because of that. I I, I love the power of choice. Because when my children tell me they love me or my wife tells me she loves me, it, it, it matters because I didn't force them to do that and God didn't force them to do that. They did that out of free will. I love the power of choice. I equally hate the power of choice because we make stupid decisions. I've made the most stupid errors along the way. I, I, I've chosen things that have brought cursing. I've chosen things that nearly led me to death. I hate the power of choice because of the bad decisions we make. And let's be real. It's not like we go, ah, so what do you say? Choice A, life. Choice B, I get to experience like a death experience. B sounds tempting. It's not, it's not like we choose cursing. It's not like we choose death. It's just we, we know there's a risk and, and we take the risk to feed our flesh. We, we take the risk because we think we know better. Yeah, I know that looks bad, but I, I'm pretty sure that you're wrong. I, I know that if I do that, you know, you're saying it's going to end up bad I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years and said, don't make that choice. It's going to go sideways rapidly. And they're like, what do you know? I had people in leadership that I've been like, hey, don't make that decision. It's a terrible decision. Life's going to go sideways for you rapidly. And the usual response is, well, well, you, 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 you can't be objective because you're the pastor, you just want us to stay. Your motives are wrong. Your spirit's wrong. This seems right to us. Don't, don't make that choice. Wrong decision. And, and, and because they, joke, they just know better. There's a young man just now in our church in Chicago who's made a horrible decision. I think he's going to regret it. I think short term he's going to enjoy it. I think long term he's going to regret it. Both myself my father-in-law, his supervisor at church, we all told him the same thing. This is a bad choice. He's 22 years of age. I'm not sure where he's getting his wisdom from, but he ignored his superiors. He ignored those guys that are coaching him because he just knows how to do this better than any of us because he's, does that make sense? And and, and I'm like, dude, I am where you want to be. I'm already there. I'm in ministry. You're trying to get in. I'm already there. I've been here for a long time. I can get you here. But obviously he knows better than me. What would I know? I've only been doing this for longer than he's been alive. And so we just think we know better. Or or we think that won't happen to me. We think we can just ignore the wisdom. We think we can dodge the bullet. We think this can happen to somebody else. It's never going to happen to us. Now, this is not a condemnation to anybody who smokes. I used to smoke two packets of cigarettes a day. But when I used to smoke, there was just like a little tiny warning down here on the packet. You know, warning, this will harm you gravely. Now, it's like all over the packet. This is going to kill you. You're going to die. Smoke and die. And we're like, oh. And because we, and, and, we think we can dodge that bullet. 
Somebody else is going to get lung cancer, not me. We think we can dodge the bullet. It's like texting and driving. We think ah, it's only the fools that are going to text, drive, and die. We think we can be a distracted driver and somehow, because here's where we're foolish. We're like, I can drive and be distracted because I'm a good driver. Yeah, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the drunk guy in front of you or the stone guy in front of you or the, and, and, and they do something that you don't see because you're looking down. And the graveyards are full of people who thought they knew better. We just think we can dodge the bullet. That's not going to happen to me. Or we think incorrectly. We, we, just get, we just get bad advice. We ask the wrong people. It's a little bit like, have you ever trusted autocorrect on your text messaging? and just sent the text message before you check the text message? How many people have ever got in trouble for that? I'd landed in Los Angeles, and uh, I, I used to be a part of Hillsong in the early days, and so I thought I'd send a text message to Brian Houston. He, he's, he's a very busy man, so it wasn't going to be long. And so my text message was, I hope you are great. And thank God I checked it before I sent it, because autocorrect had changed it to, I hope you were dead. Or you just send the text message to the wrong person. I landed back in Chicago and I sent a text message to my wife. Landed in Chicago. My lips are now that much closer to you. One of my best friends texts me back saying, I don't really care. (laughs) And that's really jacked up. And so we just trust that we're getting the right input and we get bad, bad advice. Or we think, if I make this choice, who will it hurt? Number one instigator of people making bad decisions is the illusion that it's all just about you. Well, who will this hurt? The scripture says, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Your life choice is going to have an impact on your descendants. Because no decision you make is made in isolation. If you make a decision to goof off at school and not do well with your education and the job you get because of that out of there, it's not just about you because the job that you have is going to supply the income to your family and it's going to dictate what sort of lifestyle your children have. So, so the job you have is not just about your income, it's about the income you can provide for your children and the lifestyle they have. Does that make sense? No, no decision you make in, is in isolation. It's all going to have an impact on somebody else, even sleeping around. You know, I can just sleep with whoever I want. Yeah, but, but if you sow baby seeds, you're going to reap a harvest of babies. That's just what the Bible teaches us. And, and then those decisions that you do just make impact somebody. Like, let's be real. The only people in life, in history, that probably could have been, well, who's this? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God says, you can eat off any tree you want, but don't touch this one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that one. God says, I, 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 I give you the planet. Knock yourself out. You can have the whole planet. Eat 
of any tree on the planet. It's yours. But there's one tree. There's a shrub. Don't touch that one. The shrub. The tree of the knowledge of good. Now, it wasn't an apple tree. I, I hate to rock your world with revelation, but your children's pastors lied to you. It was not an apple tree. Now, I am already angry at Adam for the mess he got us into. And he'll be the first one I hunt down when I get to heaven. Let's punch him in the face. His fault I had pimples when I was 16. This thing looked like a pizza when I was a teenager. Adam's fault. And he'll be easy to find because he'll just be the only person there with no belly button. And I'm going to chase him down. But I would be extra angry if the thing that tempted him was fruit and vegetables. Now, if it was a Whitaker's tree, I probably would have sinned myself. What's that new thing that they've got? Like the peanut, uh, the, the berry. The, oh my gosh. If it was the tree of berry biscuits, God wouldn't have even got out of his mouth, do not eat, and I'd be just chowing down. Huh? What'd you say? Because that is awesome. If I lived in New Zealand, I'd be as big as a house just on berry biscuits. I would have to import Twin Lab root fuel fat burners just to burn off the berry biscuits. But Adam and Eve could have looked at that tree and gone, all right, I know we're not supposed to touch the shrub, but God's holding out on us because he said you can't eat that and all he gave us was the planet. And uh, But who is it going to affect? It's only us here. Who's it going to hurt? How many people have been affected by that choice? <laughs> See, no choice is made in isolation. And your choices can affect generations, even though you only see it in your own little world. Don't be, don't be seduced by the, it's my right, my thing, who's this going to hurt? That's a seduction that was in the Garden of Eden and led us in this mess in the first place. No choice you make is made in isolation. And then the last reason we usually make bad decisions is because temptation is tempting. Like it's actually tempting. You wanna do it. You're not tempted by, I've never, I've never walked into the refrigerator and opened it up and the enemy has come, Satan has come, the devil has come and go, eat the broccoli, take the broccoli, look how good the broccoli looks, you should be eating the broccoli now, you want to eat the nice yummy broccoli? And I've never looked in the fridge and gone, oh yeah, you're all, look so good. No, I'm like, I've never been tempted to eat broccoli, ever, ever. I'm tempted to eat the stuff that looks good. Like the berry biscuit. I used to think that we would die, wake up in heaven, and Peter would come running and give us a McDonald's soft serve cone. Because I just thought that would be cool. Now I know there's probably no soft serve cones in heaven, but here's my thought. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you, which means it's not finished. 
So I'm just sending up suggestions. And let's be real, some of you, some of you that are barely making it into heaven, and you're going to be dangling over the flames of hell with like one foot in, how awesome would it be for them to hand you a vanilla soft serve cone to counteract the heat from the flames of hell? But instead of putting a flake in there, berry biscuit in the side. Oh, I think that would be heaven. And so the reason we fall is because temptation's tempting. It just looks really good. And so we make bad choices. I, I, I love the power of choice. And I equally hate the power. I hate the power of choice. I hate the power of choice because we just make dumb decisions. I've actually been angry at God for some of the dumb decisions I've made. I've been angry at God for some of the dumb decisions other people have made. I've been like, God, why didn't you stop me? You knew I was going to make that choice. Why, why didn't you send like a big angel, just like stiff army in the face, and just stop me from making that choice? As a pastor, I've been angry at God for allowing people to make bad choices. I've seen people make choices where they've left their family. I've seen... Choices where they've taken their own life. I've seen choices where they've made horrible financial decisions. I've seen people make awful, 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 life-destroying choices. And I've been angry at God. Why did you let that happen? Why didn't you stop that? You could have stopped that. Been angry at God. And everyone, without fail, with a little bit of investigation... I found that God put roadblocks up to try to stop them from making the choice. Sent people into their world to say, don't do this. But what people do is they just launch over the hurdles. God puts another hurdle out and they just launch over the hurdle and God adds another hurdle and they just launch over the hurdles until eventually God puts his hands up and says, I've given you the power of choice. I've tried to stop you from making that horror. I can see how bad it's gonna be. And at the end, God says, I let you make. And I've seen that me on the choices that I've made that are terrible. And as I reflect over a bad decision, I'm like, okay, he's trying to stop me here and he gave me an opportunity to back out here and he tried to get me to make and, 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 and turn it around here but it's like I just kept leaping over wisdom and I kept leaping over grace and I just kept leaping over the advice of friends and until finally God puts his hands up and go I, 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 I've got to allow you to make the choice because I set before you life and death blessing and cursing and at some point I'm trying to force you to make the life choice but if you're going to make the wrong choice I've been angry. I don't know if you've ever been angry at God like that. I have actually thought to myself, because I remember one particular time, I, I was in South Auckland, Manukau, and I walked up into my office, I kicked the door, I was so angry, and, and I flung the door in my office, and I'm pushing stuff off the desk, I'm like, God, I'm just like yelling at God, which is not a good thing to do, and uh, so angry at God. And I've often thought to myself, I just actually wonder how that looks in heaven. How does it even go down? Like, like you ah, fight you! Rah! And God's like, um, guys, uh, I'm not really sure what's going on. But I hear a squeak coming from somewhere. 
I know it's in one of the galaxies that I've created. Just not really sure which one of those galaxies it is. Oh, it might be on this one. Okay, let me move that out of the way. Oops. That's going to leave a mark in a few millennia. Uh, there it is, Milky Way. Michael, pass me a magnifying glass. Thank you very much. Guys like looking down. Okay, there it is, the Milky Way. We're looking down. Okay, there is Earth. I believe it's in the southern hemisphere. Aotearoa. New Zealand, yeah, there it is. North I Seriously, guys, were we supposed to put that many sheep there? Was that the original plan? <laughs> Was there like a discount at Extra Warehouse on wall? Like they had some extra wall at the Extra Warehouse? Because there's a lot of extra sheep down there. It's like, yeah, that was the plan all the time. That was, okay. Praise me. Yep, Manukau City. Yeah, there's Johnny Morgan. And he wants to fight. <laughs> I, I, I love the power of choice because even if we've made a series of terrible choices, the power of choice means we're only ever one choice away from a turnaround. Like if you make a series of really, really bad decisions, maybe that's where you're at right now. You look at your life right now and you're like, I don't like the consequences. I don't like the choices that I've made. The good news about the power of choice is it never ends. You've always got it in, in, in your repertoire. And so you may have made dozens of seriously critically bad choices and where you're at right now, you're like, man, my life is messed up. This is not good where I'm at right now. God's like, yeah, but I've still given you the power of choice. All you are is one choice away from a turnaround. And that's the same as this young man. He ends up in a terrible situation. He, he's in this scenario where he, his world has fallen apart. He is feeding pigs. Now, in our culture, that doesn't seem so bad, but in their culture, the pig is a despised, filthy, dirty animal. And here he is hanging out with people that are actually grazing pigs, actually feeding pigs. And so he, he's connected with the worst of the worst. And now he's feeding pigs leftovers. He's feeding them trash. He's feeding them the, the dregs. And he's looking at that going, man, that looks really good. And the Bible says no one around him has the heart or the compassion to give him anything to eat. And now he's starving to death, tempted by the food, the pigs. He is in a bad situation. His world has fallen apart. Fallen apart. But it's only ever one choice away from a turnaround. We pick the story up in verse 17. It says, when he come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? If, if you want to turn around, if you're in that place right now, you first of all, all you're gonna do is acknowledge that you want your life to be better than it is right now. 
You just got to make a choice. I, 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 I don't want to stay where I'm at. I don't want to keep doing what I've been doing. At some point, most people make a decision that makes them hit the ground. And there are two types of people, the bouncer and the splatterer. The bouncer hits the ground and goes, this is not where I belong. This is not what God created me to be. This is not right. And they ricochet off and repel. The splatterer hits the ground and becomes so overwhelmed with guilt, so overwhelmed with condemnation, so overwhelmed with shame, so overwhelmed with humiliation that they become one with the situation. And they fail. They, they just don't know how to get out of it. They're so embarrassed, so, so destroyed by the decision. And, and, and rather than saying, I failed, they say, I am a failure. Uh, rather than say, I, I made a mistake, I need to get it right. They go, no, I am a mistake. And they actually own the situation they're in and they never get out of it. But you're only, you, what you've got to do as a Christian is, okay, this was dumb. This was stupid. I, 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 I was foolish to do this, but this is not who God created me to be. And you've got to push back off where you're at and decide, I am not going to live like this. This is not going to define who I am. I, I, I may have made a mistake, but I am not a mistake. I may have failed, but I am not a failure. I, okay, this was a horrible choice, but I will not let this choice define who I am. And at the same time, when people have made choices that have affected you, you've got to look there and go, I will not let that choice define me. In about 2003, I went through a divorce, become a solo dad with my three girls. I set my two eldest daughters down in the kitchen. And I said, girls, I love you. And I'm going I'm to coach you. I said, but the choice your mother has made is not about you. It's not like she doesn't love you. It's not that she doesn't care about you. The choice is not about you, but her choice is going to affect you. I said, but you need to make a decision now, right here at this table, that you love your mother. And you need to make a decision right now that you forgive your mother and that you will not let this choice define you. I said, if you get into your 20s and you're all bitter and angry at your mother, that's going to be your choice, not hers. That's going to be your decision. You've got to make a decision right now. This will not define who you are as a woman of God. Now, I'm going to love you and I'm going to coach you and I'll do everything I can to help you, but this will not define your life. And to my girls' credit, they're serving God. One's on staff at, at Champion Center in Tacoma, Washington, one of the largest churches in Seattle. The other one is doing great at work and volunteers. And my, my youngest daughter, well, she was too young back then to let it define her, but she's serving God in Chicago with us. And, and, and so they just made, you just got to make a decision. Your choice, this will not define who I am. Second thing you've got to do is decide that you don't want to keep doing what you've been doing. He says, I will arise and go to my Father. I'll say to Him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before You. I'm no longer worthy to be called Your Son. Make me like your, one of Your hired servants. I will arise and go. The book of Acts says, repent and be converted. That time, seasons or rivers of refreshing would flow from the presence of the Lord. If you want a new season, you've got to make a different choice. The word repent is the Greek word that's metanoia. And it just simply means you've got to change direction. God says you've been heading in the same direction for a long period of time. 
if you want something different, don't keep going the same way. Metanoia, change direction, repent, be different, and then a fresh season will come. Seasons of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Here's what this young guy did. He just made a series of bad decisions. I think I'm going to ask my dad for my inheritance. Yes, I'll do that. Dad, give me my inheritance. Thank you. Then it says not many days later, he left. Maybe dad says you can have the inheritance, but you need to be home by 10. You need to work for the business. You need to look after your room. You need to tithe. I, I don't know what. And he's like, nah, not feeling it. And he left home. Another choice. Heading in the wrong direction. Where am I going to go and live? Ah, I'll go and live on the Gold Coast. I'll get a condo. I'll party it up huge. Sounds like party city. So now he makes a decision. He goes to a city where he lives riotously. So he's gambling, drinking, sleeping around, nightclubs, casinos, spending his money like it's going out of fashion, not working, not investing it, just blowing it because an inheritance gain quickly at the beginning will not, and so he's just spending up big, making bad choices. Then in the middle of the bad choices, famine hits, recession hits, prices go up. He runs out of money rapidly. And so what does he do? He joins himself with people in the community, joins with the wrong people. It's a decision to hang out with the wrong crowd. That wrong crowd leads him to a job where he's feeding pigs. Maybe he's selling drugs. Maybe he's running drugs. Maybe he's importing drugs from Bangkok or some from Indonesia or some. Maybe he's a drug. Who knows? Maybe he's joined a gang. Who, who knows what he's? Maybe he's sleeping around. Maybe he becomes a male prostitute. Who knows what he's doing? But whoever it is, it's not good. Now he's drinking, one, two, three, drink, one, two, three, drink. He's throwing them down. He can't count how many. Next thing he's singing off a chandelier, a chandelier. You know, he's just like going crazy. He's naked on a wrecking ball. Everything's just going crazy. And, and then his life falls apart. He's feeding pigs. He's in this horrible decision. And he's like, this is terrible. But then he makes a decision. I'll arise and I'll go. I've been heading that direction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to metanoia. I'm going to repent. I, I need a new season. This is going to destroy me. And then you've got to act. You're only ever one step away from a turnaround. Here's the cool thing about this parable. Is it's actually not a real story. Jesus is not saying, hey, I was out the other night. I met a guy and he was telling me about his son. Let me tell you what was happening on with his son. No, no, Jesus made this up. This is a fictional story, not a true story. When I first thought that, I thought, that sort of like weakens it. But actually, it does the opposite. The fact that this is made up actually strengthens it. Because when you, when you look at it, you realize every detail is deliberate by Jesus. Nothing is accidental. Everything is purposeful to make a point so you would get it. So with that in mind, let, let, me, let me read this last part to you. Now, I, I know a few of you here are like, dude, we're done with the jokes. We came to church to get some meat. And I got good news. Uh, this message will have a little bit of meat. Um, I'll announce it just before you get it so you don't miss it, but it is coming for those of you that I feel like we're done with the jokes, bro. 
We want some meat, so here it's coming. But, but, but the last thing you can do is just receive God's mercy. Listen to this. He arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Here comes the meat. And bring the fatted calf. There it is. Solid beef right there. You got some comedy and some meat in one night. It's a pretty good day in church. Kill the fatted calf and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son who is dead, alive again. He was lost and is found. And, and, and they began to be merry. The father is sitting on the balcony waiting for his son to come home. I'm not sure how many days he was out there, but I can just imagine him on the balcony, on the veranda, on the porch, just, his wife's like, babe, dinner's on, we're just putting it on the table, come in, he's like, I'm, 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 I'm coming in a minute, he's like, babe, he's not coming home today, he's not, he's, his son's got, gone, he's not, not coming, I know he's going to come one day, I know one day, and the father's watching daily. I know one day he's going to make the right choice. Maybe it's not today, but I, I've given him the power of choice. And maybe he's making some bad choices now, but I've given him the power of choice. I believe one day he'll execute, he, he'll, he'll make the right decision. And I want to be here waiting for that day to happen. The father is just waiting for you to make the right choice. These people in your world that are making bad choices, the father is sitting waiting. The father was watching. And maybe another day came and he's out there on the veranda just waiting. I know. And, and, and the other son's like, Dad, get in here. He's, he's not coming. I've seen his, his, his Instagram feed. It's, it's not looking good. His Instagram story is all sorts of crazy pictures on there, Dad. Crazy women, crazy. It's just not good, Dad. He's not coming home today. Yeah, no, oh yeah shut up, son. Go, go and eat. Go and hang with your mother. I'm just, I know one day my son, my son's going to come home and the father's sitting there waiting. Now the son is saying to himself, I, 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 I'm a horrible man. I, my, my dad cannot love me. My dad can't love me. And I know I can't return to him and be a son. So my, 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 I'm going to ask dad, dad, I know I failed so horribly. It disqualifies me, disqualifies me from being your child. But because your servants get it better, can I, can I just get a job to be a servant? I sweep floors. I, I know how everything runs. I believe I can be a good employee. I've been a horrible son and with shame and guilt and I can't be anything and I must be disqualified from God's love. I, 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 I failed so badly. My shame my, my guilt, my, and his head's down, and he's saturated in pig slop, and he smells the flies, and he's just, he's just regurgitating. I tell dad, I can't be a son. I failed as a son. I need a job as a servant. I'll just be a servant. And, and, and the Bible says that the father sees him 
a long way off. Before you came to church tonight, He saw you. Before your son or daughter gets back to church, He sees them. Before that parent you've been praying for makes the right choice, the Father's watching for them. I don't know who you're praying for tonight. I don't know who you're believing for tonight. I don't know who you're saying, God, restore that relationship. Restore that back. I don't know who you I don't know who you're believing for, but the Bible says that God sees them a long way off. While it looks impossible to you, it's not impossible to God. While it looks like it will never happen to you, it, 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 God's already seen it happening. God's seen that one you're praying for in church with you. They're only ever one choice away from, from, from a turnaround. Don't stop praying, don't stop believing, don't stop believing. And he sees them a long way off. And the Bible says he runs at the sun. Watch how the story unfolds, remembering everything in here is deliberate by Jesus to let you know how much God loves you. And the father jumps at the son, wraps his arms around the son and starts kissing him. And the son repeats his, I, I can't be a son. I'm disqualified from the family. Make me a hired servant. And he never even addresses it. He never says, you're right, failure. You're right, you loser. You embarrassed me to our family. You wasted my money. No, he just ignores him. He says, get him a new robe. Get him, get him a fresh ring. Go and kill the cow, make some burgers. He goes, this is my son. This is my son. I, I, I know he's failed many times, but this one, he got it right. This is not one star, not two stars, not no stars. It's a three-star decision. Like he wrapped his arms around his son and said, superb performance. I know you had a lot of bad shots at the sun, but this was a good one. It's a good choice. And now you're home and everything can get restored. We're only ever one choice away from a great decision. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 